You don't have to clean up now. Why don't you dump this first? But that's formaldehyde. Formaldehyde, to be precise. To be even more precise, dirty formaldehyde. Every bottle is coated with layers of dust. Pour them into the sink. Ex excuse me? Just empty every bottle to the very last drop. It's just these are toxic chemicals, and the regulations state that. Pour them right down the drain, Mr. Kim. If I pour them in the drain, they'll run into the Han River. That's right. Let's just dump them in the Han River. But this isn't just any old toxic chemicals. So you See, have to... The Han River is very broad, Mr. Kim. Let's try to be broad-minded about this. Hmm? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 210, The Host. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And welcome to Verbal Diorama. Welcome brand new listeners to this podcast. Welcome back regular returning listeners or irregular returning listeners. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast. And of all of the movie podcasts you could be listening to right now, I'm so happy to have you here with me for the history and legacy of the host and no not the film from 2013 sorry stephanie meyer fans we are going to be talking about some kaiju movies this month and we're going to be starting with an absolute classic from the amazing bong joon ho but before we jump into all of that i just want to say as always a huge thank you to the wonderful reception to previous episodes of this podcast so recently there's been episodes on the Eurovision Song Contest, the Story of Fire Saga, and most recently Heather's as well, with a bit of a break in between because I was ill one weekend and I couldn't finish the episode off and I thought I'd give myself a bit of a break. And then the weekend after, I got laryngitis and I'm still recovering from laryngitis as well. So if my voice sounds weird, it's not some strange new edit technique that I'm trying. It's just my larynx not working properly. So... I still have a tiny little bit of a cough, which was interesting because I recently went to the podcast show down in London and I had to keep explaining to people that I wasn't coughing because I had COVID, that it was laryngitis. And it's weird because nowadays, and I don't know if anyone else feels like this, but as soon as you get a cough, you feel like an instant pariah. So, you know, what better to talk about a Bong Joon-ho movie about a monster that supposedly causes this huge virus and panic and quarantine and all of that but i will say apologies if my voice does cut out on occasion um it's still not 100 percent. i am still recovering but i really wanted to get this episode out there and i really want to talk about this movie so as i said 
June on Verbal Diorama is really, really exciting for me because I'm calling it Kaijun for a reason because I want to do a month of Kaiju movies. And some of these movies you might know, some of these movies you might not know, and the host may be kind of more towards the latter because it's not generally a very well-known movie. I mean, this is not a Godzilla movie, for example, and, you know, that's going to be a bit of a hint about what is actually going to be coming up in this month. But it is such a great movie. And since his Oscar win for Parasite a few years back, everyone has kind of boarded the Bob Junho train. A bit of a Snowpiercer reference for you there as well. And The Host is one of his earlier movies, but it is also a monster movie, but it's way more than a monster movie. And most monster movies tend to be more than just monster movies. South Korean monster movies tend to be more than just monster movies. Basically, all of Bong Joon-ho's movies, you might think they're about one thing, but cleverly weaves in all of these themes and commentary. And it makes you wonder, when you watch something like The Host, maybe the monster isn't the actual monster. I mean, I'll give you a clue. The monster isn't the actual monster. So let's just jump straight into the Han River with the trailer for The Host. Mr. Kim. Formaldehyde. Dirty formaldehyde. Pour him into the sink. daughter's still alive. Why didn't you contact the police or the military, a human rights organization, something? American military base of Yongsun, toxic chemicals are disposed down the drain leading to the Han River under the direct order of an arrogant US Army coroner. Six years later, a mutant fish monster leaves the water and attacks people on the side of the river. Park Gandu's daughter, Hyun So, is carried off by the monster and presumed dead. His family blame him for grabbing the hand of the wrong girl in the panic, but when all hope is lost, Hyun So calls her father and the whole family, his father, brother and sister, come together to help. Skew her. 
Let's run through the cast. We have Song Kang Ho as Park Gang Du, Byun Hee Bong as Park Hee Bong, Park Hae Il as Park Nam Il, Bae Do Na as Park Nam Ju, Ko Ah Sung as Park Hyun Soo, Lee Jae Ung as Si Jin, and Lee Dong Ho as Si Ju. The host was written by Bong Joon Ho, Ha Won Jun, and Baek Chul Hyun, and was directed by Bong Joon Ho. And I did not intend for this to be the first episode that Verbal Diorama did on a Bong Joon Ho movie. And I know you might be thinking Parasite. And yes, Parasite is a masterpiece. But no, actually, I always intended it to be Snowpiercer. Because I think Snowpiercer is terrific and shamefully underseen here in the UK. It was never afforded a cinematic release here. That is a story for that episode. But suffice to say, my plan was to introduce the works of Bong Joon-ho with Snowpiercer. And then I had this crazy idea for a month focused on kaiju movies. That obviously became June, or I guess it could have been July, or, or both, actually. I missed a trick there. And while the monster in the host, the Gwomal, isn't a kaiju in the traditional sense, if you're purely thinking Godzilla as your template, he also kind of is in the Godzilla sense. It is a monster created by the neglect or evil of man, and formaldehyde and the illegal disposal of it is this movie's version of nuclear weapons being deployed on Japan. And in both circumstances, America is very much the bad guy. It's for this very reason that North Korea absolutely loves this movie. And this movie was inspired by 50s monster movies where the scientist mistakenly creates a monster. And this was also only Bong Joon-ho's third fiction-length directorial gig after Barking Dogs Never Bite and Memories of Murder, which was the most watched film of 2003 in Bong's native South Korea. And just like Memories of Murder, which was based on a real-life killing spree of 10 murders between 1906 and 1991 in the Hwaseong area. The host was also based on real-life events, mutated fish monster notwithstanding. So a little bit of a history, South Korea still technically at war with North Korea, as no peace treaty was ever signed between the two countries since the Korean War armistice was signed in 1953, still has a continued US military presence in the country with the United States Forces Korea consisting of currently 28,500 personnel. In February 2000, at the Yongsan Garrison, which used to be the headquarters for the US military forces before it was relocated to Pyeongchang in 2018, a guy called Albert McFarland was working at the military morgue, where he allegedly ordered 20 bottles of formaldehyde to be disposed down the morgue's drains because the bottles were old and dusty, and this was rather than disposing of the toxins safely. And this isn't just a trifling amount either. This is 192 16-ounce bottles. And because this is the military and because you obey the orders of your superior, morgue workers basically did, as they were told, eventually, despite initially protesting to the contrary. And these chemicals ended up in the Han River, the main source of drinking water in Seoul. And these are the sort of chemicals that are widely known to be poisonous to humans, and other biological organisms. They can cause cancer, birth defects, and obviously also pollute the environment. So McFarland would be tried in absentia for ordering the dumping of the chemicals. USFK officials would argue that they had jurisdiction as he was a US citizen on a US base. But South Korea rejected the offer of a US imposed $4,300 fine and sentenced him in 2004 to six months in jail. 
McFarland appealed and would lose his pollution conviction, but would win a reprieve of his six-month sentence and instead serve two years probation. While no huge mutated monsters have ever been seen, mutated fish with bent spines have been fished out of the Han River in the years since, which could be attributed to this event or could be attributed to other pollutants in the river. It's not something you can really prove or disprove either way. But this story would form the basis of Bong Joon-ho's original idea for the host, or Gwomol, as it's known in South Korea, which just simply means monster. But I guess as movie titles go, monster is quite generic. The host is the quote-unquote carrier of the fictional disease the government claim is spread by the creature, so contextually, the host makes more sense. And the titular monster was an important feature that Bong wanted to go against traditional creature features, which only tend to show the full monster at the climax. Bong wanted to break that cliche and show the Gwomol in its entirety at the beginning of the movie, so you fully understood the scale and scope of what these human characters would be facing. A creature that relished the chase, and not only ate humans whole, but also took others to eat later. What is essentially a mutated fish with legs was designed by Chin Wei Chen and Jiang He Chul. Chin would do preliminary concept work and Jiang refine the conceptual design and textures. And while mutated fish, as I say, have been found in the Han River, the design wasn't based on any pre-existing creatures. But Bong was very involved in the design. He requested it be a mutated animal and be able to perform acrobatic stunts and not be too big. So they weren't looking for a Godzilla-sized creature but a creature small enough to hide behind a truck, ideally around the 45-foot length. Chin and Jiang designed serpent-style beasts, fish with legs, and the final design was chosen because it resembled a catfish or a carp with elements of asymmetry like an extra arm, protruding fish babies, and a diseased eye. Once the design was finished, a small-scale maquette was created by Wetter Workshop, which would also serve as the base for a full-scale animatronic that could safely swallow humans whole built by John Cox's Creature Workshop. Bong was originally not convinced about using practical effects and wanted a completely digital creature, but it was the digital effects team at the orphanage who convinced him to have the mix. So John Cox's Creature Workshop, mostly known for their animatronic work on the 1995 movie Babe, along with the monsters in Pitch Black, and helmed by John Cox, a veteran of the industry with over 40 years' experience in visual effects, John Cox's Creature Workshop won an Academy Award in 1995 for their work on Babe. The full-scale animatronic creature head was sculpted, moulded, painted and built around an inner mechanical armature. It was moulded in foam latex, the eyes were coloured glass and the teeth were dental, acrylic and resin. It was mounted on a rig for cable-controlled and radio-controlled mechanism and could open its jaws, move its mandibles, tongue, gills and eyes independently of each other. The animatronic isn't used as often in the movie as the digital version, obviously. And the digital version is obviously a lot more easily moved. But if the shot required the monster swallowing humans, so for example when Gandu retrieves Hyun So and Siju from its mouth, the creature was created especially so that the actors could safely be stored in and retrieved from its jaws. For the majority of the movie, the digital Gwomal was brought to life by the orphanage, and now sadly defunct visual effects studio based in California. The orphanage had previously worked on Sin City, which probably deserves an episode of its own at some point, Horace the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, as well as previous episodes of this podcast, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, that's episode 5, and Hellboy, that's episode 38. They also won an award for their work on the first Iron Man film, but the studio had ended up closing in 2009. 
And the orphanage had to start from scratch when making the Gwomal because their creature rig and associated technology hadn't actually been developed yet. Although the orphanage had created a few computer-generated figures in the past, there wasn't really a creature pipeline or workflow in place. So what they did was they made use of the host as a means of enhancing the workflow and pipeline they already had in place in Brazil. The biggest change to the workflow was the incorporation of a creature department and the supporting software into the current pipeline. Obviously, Bong Joon-ho wanted the best possible digital effects for the Gwomal. The development of the monster required meticulous preparation due to the low budget and short production schedule. And essentially, what transpired was only the kitschy effects were actually allowed due to the financial constraints. And this is something that Bong Joon-ho has actually referred to in the past as the effects being kitschy. And the visual effects are a little bit ridiculed nowadays, especially if you look at them with a modern lens. But real thought actually went into how they might achieve these visual effects on such a tight budget. I'm going to come back to budget a little bit later because this movie was ridiculously cheap. So the fact that they achieved what they did with the little money that they had is actually quite astounding. So the visual effects artists were divided into two groups in order to save time. So one group under the direction of Stefan Cross created a motion rig in Maya for the articulation of the creature's head. The digital model of the monster was created by the other team, which was led by Brooke Klevick and Sasha Pushkarev. And that was created using Maya and Solilo with additional texturing and detail added using ZBrush. A polygon box modeling technique was employed to allow the proper amount of detail, as well as extreme deformation, which is essential to the actions that the character had to perform. The monster's complex mouth required a live cluster-based facial animation system with a five-way maw. A muscle rigging system called O-Muscle was developed specifically for this movie, as well as an array of customized cluster muscle, skin and lip articulation tools to simulate fast and efficient muscle dynamics. The monster's unusual anatomy made animating it even more challenging. As a source of inspiration, they used animal footage as well as earlier instances of movie monsters for reference. They gathered data from historical films and also actual events. For size and mass comparison, they looked at the T-Rex from Jurassic Park and at Draco from Dragonheart to see how rain would appear on massive reptilian skin. And to see how other filmmakers animated a multifaceted mouth or more, they looked at movies like Predator and Blade 2. For the Gwomal's movements on land, it was important that it had physically believable movements as a literal fish out of water. Animation supervisor Webster Colcord used references of how legless people move, such as famous performer Johnny Epp, and the movements of shoulders and the transfer of gravity between one shoulder to the other. Sea lions were also used as references as to how the weight moves down the body to the tail on land, and the first time the monster breaches land, it's reasonably clumsy, but it learns how to move better on land as the movie progresses, because as the movie progresses, this monster does get a lot more smart. The many distorted fins and dangly bits, as the animation team put it, on the creature were hand-animated because an autonomous simulation system couldn't be created in time. The limbs and the abdomen of Gwomal had layers of wriggling muscles and fat applied as finishing touches. Complex particle models for water, soil and fire were used to develop the creature's interaction with the environment. And obviously, the Gwomal had to appear to be realistically in the scene as well. So they would use standard techniques of dumping weights on trucks to simulate the character and then it was replaced by the digital character in post-production. But obviously, this also had to be a character that could 
regurgitate humans and also interact with humans as well with its tail. And things like this proved to be especially tricky for the digital effects team. And when the Gwomal is finally set on fire by the Park family after Agent Yellow has caused it significant damage, the digital effects team also created three distinct skin effects. So originally, the monster just has regular dark green skin tone. After it's touched by the Agent Yellow, it gets a blistering appearance and then burnt underlying green and blister textures once it's been set on fire. And to get an idea of what dead fish skin looks like on fire, the crew burnt some dead trout and sea bass. And as I mentioned before, this movie was made on an 11.8 billion Korean won budget. Now, that sounds like a lot of money. If you think 11.8 billion of something sounds like a lot. But that actually works out to about $11 million. And as I said before, this is remarkable considering what they actually achieved here. And it was partially due to the success of Memories of Murder that this movie got such a generous budget for what is essentially Bong Joon-ho's third feature. And literally, this is a movie where every single penny is seen on screen. There is no wastage on this movie at all. And I think this is very typical of Bong Joon-ho, is there is no fat to trim on this movie. This movie was also shot on location in real Han River sewers and obviously filming in those conditions was really tough for the actors involved as well because they were filming in both freezing sewage water and also hot, dusty conditions too. Reportedly, all of the cast and crew had to be vaccinated against tetanus before shooting. Bong Joon-ho is known for his on-location shoots. The real Wonhyo Bridge was used. According to IMDb, it's the only time that anything has ever been shot on the Wonhyo Bridge. At least 80% of the host was filmed in the vicinity of the Han River and its parks and its bridges. Bong Joon-ho and his production team spent two years location hunting along the river as they wrote the script. The sewers that Gandu's family roam in search of Hyun So are all real. The riverbanks contain labyrinths of storm drains and sewers that carry rainwaters from the riverside skyscrapers and houses into the river. They also filmed at the Oksu Rainwater Pumping Station. The Seoul Metropolitan Government actually offered a lot of support for the filming of the host from the very beginning. In addition to waiving the usage fee for the Hanyang Riverside Parks, it also committed filming on the typically off-limits Bamseom Island. The city administration gave permission for the temporary relocation of streetlights and other public buildings for filming. And the citizens of Seoul actively cooperated with a varying amount of difficulty that was brought on by the filming of this movie in their local area. And a man, this is awful, this is the worst segue ever, a man who also actively cooperates and puts up with varying degrees of difficulty is Keanu Reeves. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I didn't know how to segue into the Victor Keanu reference for this episode because genuinely, I think this might have been the hardest one that I've, ever had to try and do. This is where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves for no reason other than he is the best of men. And trying to link Keanu to Korea, to Bong Joon-ho, to monster movies, there's nothing. There's genuinely nothing out there. So I've gone really, really off topic. And I don't know how I'm going to do the rest of Kaiju with him because it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. But Go with me on this. So Keanu Reeves has been involved in a comic series called Berserker. And it tells the story of B, an immortal warrior who spent untold centuries slaughtering his enemies. 
And it goes without saying that no one comic series could hope to chronicle every exploit of this character's unnaturally long life. And so that's where Berserker Poetry of Madness comes in. Poetry of Madness isn't just the first Berserker spin-off comic. It's also the one that pushes the franchise in a wildly different direction because this one-shot special sends B to the mythical city of Atlantis to battle unspeakable monsters straight out of a HP Lovecraft story. Monsters like the Gwomal? Probably. That's the link. That's it. This is not a HP Lovecraft thing. But it's a monster and he fought a monster in a comic book that kind of looks like him and was kind of made by him. So I'm really clutching at straws. But that's, that's it. That's the Chikiani reference for this episode. I don't know what I'm going to do with the next one, but I guess we'll just have to see. So... Let's move on to the release and reception for this movie because The Host had its world premiere on the 21st of May 2006 at the Cannes Film Festival and then it would be released wide on the 27th of July 2006 in South Korea. And this movie was huge in South Korea. It was released on a record number of screens. It broke box office records during its opening weekend. It was extensively promoted. And obviously, it also starred Song Kang-ho, one of the most well-known leading men in Korean cinema. In fact, it considerably surpassed the previous record set the previous year by Kwak Kyung-tek's Typhoon. On 6th of August 2006, The Host reached a record 6 million viewers, with more than 12.3 million tickets sold and South Korea measures on ticket sales, not box office returns, in less than a month. And this is a nation of 48.5 million people, by the way. This movie surpassed all previous records at the South Korean box office at the beginning of September that year. It still sits higher than Bong Joon-ho's smash hit movie Parasite in the South Korean all-time box office. So the host is 19 in the all-time South Korean box office. Parasite is 20th. Train to Busan, which is episode 179, is 15. That is the level of popularity of this movie. This movie was absolutely huge. It would also premiere in Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, Thailand and Japan in the first half of September 2006. On the 10th of November 2006, it released here in the UK and that was its first mainstream distribution outside of the Toronto, Tokyo and New York film festivals outside of Asia and outside of Australia. It would be released domestically in a limited capacity in the US on the 9th of March 2007, making $2.2 million and peaking at 24th at the US box office. But worldwide, this is a movie that would gross $89.4 million on, as I said, technically an $11 million budget. So it did incredibly well. The movie was named the fourth for the 2000-2009 decade and third for the year 2006 by the French cinema magazine Carrières du Cinéma and was one of the top 10 international films of 2006, according to the Japanese film magazine Kinema Junpo. It appeared on several critics' top 10 lists of 2007 and would go on to win huge critical acclaim as well as several awards, including winning three Asia-Pacific Film Festival Awards, six Blue Dragon Film Awards, five Korean Film Awards, four Asian Film Awards and Jewelry Prize and Busan Film Critics Awards. Unsurprisingly, considering this movie did incredibly well, a sequel was quickly announced. So in 2007, the production company Chiong Ram Films decided that they were going to bring back the Gwomal 
and filming on The Host 2 was scheduled to start in the autumn of 2007 without the involvement of Bong Joon-ho. And their plan was, was they were going to use the experience gained from their collaboration with the orphanage to this time have a domestic visual effects company produce the visual effects for the sequel. And at the time, details regarding a director and cast were kept under wraps, but it was due to be based on a script by Kang Full, and the budget was announced at 10 billion Korean won. An FX reel debuted at the Tokyo International Film Festival in 2010, and it was then announced that the sequel was going to be released in 2012. But then everything disappeared and nothing has been spoken about since. So the sequel to The Host has just completely vanished. It was also revealed in November 2008 that Universal Studios were going to produce a US remake of The Host with Mark Warrior writing the script and Gore Verbinski producing and first-time filmmaker Frederick Bond helming the picture. The remake of The Host was scheduled to come out in 2011, but again, just like the sequel, it's completely disappeared. There is no more news on the remake, which is probably a good thing because this is a movie just like Train to Busan, that does not need to be remade for American audiences. The movie is right here. You can watch it. It's available. Whether you watch it subs or dubs, it doesn't matter. Just watch this movie. Right, let's move over to some social media thoughts. And I love to ask on Patreon and across social media what people think of the movie that I'm featuring. And interestingly, for the first time ever, I think, there are no patrons who've given opinions on the host. And this is perhaps mainly due to the fact that I don't think very many people have actually seen this movie. However, there are some comments over on social media. So we're going to jump straight into Twitter and we're going to start with at Callum underscore H underscore Cooper, who says, A superbly directed film that combines the Hollywood monster genre with absurdist humour and a sense of Korean history and strong themes like anti-authoritarianism, disillusionment and class struggle and solidarity. Its inversions of the genre are as compelling as its characters. At W Noise Podcast said, We'll forever be amazed at Bong Joon-ho's ability to balance humour and trauma, sometimes in the same scene. At So Wizard Podcast said, I think it's his best film, just a great blend of genres. The movie just works on every level. At Diabolical Pod said, Been a long time, but I remember loving it. It's bittersweet, but so much fun. At Thief CGT said, I think this was my second Bond film, so I wasn't used to his style. So I remember being a bit put out at first by a mixture of dark comedy and horror action and how unsubtle it is, but I still enjoyed it. It has its shares of good scares and thrills and Bong's direction is great. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Human La, who said, Bong Joon-ho refuses to compromise in this comedy monster movie. The monster is revealed in the first 20 minutes and in daylight, allowing us to appreciate the drama and humour of the unfolding story without constantly being primed for a reveal. As such, the success here is Bong Joon-ho's attention to character and choosing to focus on the dysfunction of the Park family. Kang Ho delivers as the family's least useful member, offering a sensitive mix of pathos and silliness, supported brilliantly by Hee Bong as his long-suffering father and a sweet turn from Ah Sung as his kidnapped daughter. Forgiving the bargain CGI, this is entertaining throughout, with sly subtle digs at the Korean authorities, closer in tone to tremors, but closer in quality to Snowpiercer. And as always, a huge thank you to everyone for your comments on the host. And if you do want your comments read out in episodes and you want to help get involved in this podcast, the thoughts posts usually go up on a Friday on 
Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me at Verbal Diorama. And just simply comment on the post and I will read your comment out and I will also credit you for it as well. Bong Joon-ho is a fascinating filmmaker and he's always seemed to be discontent to play by what the rules of cinema are or what he thinks they should be or what we think they should be. And I would be very surprised. In fact, I'm going to put it out there and say, don't expect a Marvel movie from Bong Joon-ho anytime soon or indeed ever. And I think that's because chooses political satire, social commentary, the darkest of black humour, and he masterfully weaves that into all of his scenes. He also chooses relatable characters. And I feel like any other Hollywood movie, or indeed the Hollywood remake of this movie, would have an American scientist, or indeed the character of Donald White, the US sergeant who helps Gangdu fight the monster, as the hero. But Bong gave us Gangdu. A clumsy shop worker, berated by his siblings, pitied by his father, someone slightly rude and lazy, someone who's happy to give his preteen daughter beer. He's really not the hero type. His life is simple and monotonous, but then his daughter is taken and he and his family are arrested and his sole purpose becomes finding his child and being that hero, along with his brother and sister, who both have their own little mini arcs of becoming better people to take on this monster. Even Hyun So gets an opportunity to not just be a damsel in distress, but takes a younger homeless child under her wing and protects him right to her last breath. These are ordinary people doing extraordinary things for their loved ones, but the movie never shies away from the real threat of injury and death. Seeing Hyun So's lifeless body still upsets me. Go Ah Sung was only 13 when this movie was shot too, and she's great in this movie. Bong Joon-ho does tend to make movies about monsters, but usually they're figurative monsters. Capitalism, colonialism, greed, class inequality, social justice. But here, this is a literal monster born from humanity's greed, government conspiracy and environmental disaster. By the end of the movie, Gang Du has lost both his father and his daughter. He also suffers from PTSD and spends his days waiting for another monster to emerge. As the frigid winter of Seoul sits in, the summer mats of picnickers and the Han are long gone, leaving just thick snow. Additionally, the news on the TV foreshadows an impending global discussion centred on Korea's recent attack. They use phrases like virus and misinformation, which eerily applies to recent events in the last few years. Nearly two decades later, the host is still as relevant, if not even more so, to the conversation about ecological emergency and the responsibility of us all to take care of what we have. Bong Joon-ho's statement isn't exactly subtle either. And it hardly matters to the digital effects of age because the monster is just a manifestation of the evil corruption that humanity plagues us with. This is a human story with a human family at its centre. And while the story taps into the geopolitics affecting modern-day South Korea, the focus on the Park family grounds the narrative into something we can relate to. We can all be a little incompetent, but we can also all be innocent victims of circumstance. And given the same situation, many of us would probably also accidentally grab the wrong child's hand. Eerily prophetic scenes of quarantine notwithstanding, post-COVID, this film takes on a new meaning of government responsibility and the spread of misinformation, something that's only worsened with time thanks to social media. Basically, what we're saying is don't pollute. Don't be a corrupt government. Don't spread misinformation. Be simple and decent because that's enough. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on the host. 
And if you do want to get involved and you do want to help this podcast grow, you could leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You could retweet or like posts on social media. I'm at Verbal Diorama, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd, or simply tell your friends and family about this podcast. Anything you can do to help this podcast grow would be so appreciated. And if you like this episode on the host, you might also like the following movies slash episodes. I'm going to recommend episode 41, Tremors, because it's such a fun monster movie. I adore that movie so much. I think it's a lot of fun. I actually recently watched some of the sequels for the first time. And, I mean, they're not as good, clearly, but they're all right. Uh, but there's something really special about Tremors. I also wanted to recommend episode 48, The Thing, because it is an absolutely tremendous movie. So full of all of these amazing practical effects. And that is a movie that does not age because of the amazing practical effects of that movie. They did try and remake that, sort of. It was like a prequel slash remake and it wasn't as good purely because of the perfection of those practical effects. I would highly recommend that movie as well. And also episode 179, Train to Busan, because if you enjoy this movie, I guarantee you will love Train to Busan. Train to Busan is basically, to all intents and purposes, a zombie movie. But again, South Korean cinema is so rich with its themes and topics. It's not about the zombies. It's about the human story. It's about a father and daughter. It's about their relationships with other people on the train. It's about social responsibility. It's about taking care of people. And it's honestly one of the greatest movies that I've ever seen in recent years has been Train to Busan. I absolutely adore South Korean cinema and it's something that I really do want to feature more of on this podcast because there's some great South Korean movies out there. But absolutely, if you're going to be doing a double, do The Host and Train to Busan because I guarantee you will have a great time with both of those. As always, give me feedback. Let me know what you think of my recommendations. So for the next episode, Kaijun continues with the king of the monsters. Yes, that's right. The king of the monsters but not that king and not that one either the first time america tried to take on the king of the monsters in the late 90s it basically coined a new acronym which was gino godzilla in name only i'm going to be looking into the history and legacy of roland emmerich's 1998 godzilla how it came to be how it almost was and unlike bong joon ho how this movie took great lengths to hide its monster, even in its trailers and promotional material. It is a fascinating story. I'm not going to lie to you, it's not the only time Godzilla will be making an appearance, but I thought that this was an important story to tell about the 1998 Godzilla movie and how you take a classic IP like Godzilla and how you don't do it. Because while I enjoy the Godzilla movie from 1998, it's kind of not a Godzilla movie. I feel like if it was just a standard monster movie without the Godzilla name, it actually might be seen as a lot more decent than it actually is seen. But join me next week for 1998's Godzilla. It's going to be fun. We're going to go deeper underground. Come with me. I love the soundtrack. It's got a great soundtrack to that movie. But anyway, let's go deeper underground next week for the 1998 Godzilla movie. And this podcast is free and it always will be free. I'm never going to charge for this podcast. But if you do want to help support this podcast, then you can by going to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. You can join the amazing patrons who help support this podcast month on month. 
They are Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Fern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Sonny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Heather, Danny, Ali, Tyler, Stu, Brett, Philip, and Michelle. If you're interested in some merch, it's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. If you're interested in saying hi to me, you can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com. My website is also at verbaldiorama.com. And you can also find my work at filmstories.co.uk as well. And finally. Now what? It would be hard to get to Namju. Seems like he really doesn't know. Then let's take... Namil first. I think that would be best. He's a real escape artist, though. I gotta warn you. You should be very careful. Hey. Just out of curiosity, what's the tax on the reward money? Well, there is an exemption on rewards, and there's no tax on extra earnings. Oh. This is the one. Hansel. Hey, it worked. Hey, you gotta see this. Mr. Partner Meal. Are you feeling sick? Greetings, Mr. Park. Just stay right there. Let's see. On Ohio Bridge. Mr. Please, Mill, no funny stuff. Please cooperate. You must be at the hospital. Take this. Hey there, classmates. Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer one, trailer two. Final trailer? I don't know if it's the same one. How many trailers do we need exactly? Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit artist! Uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy! That's right. awesome. You're going full Danzig. That's right, I am. My, my trans yeah, has no power, power over me. me. <laughs> <laughs>